This is a musical revival. My name is Rachel, and welcome to episode five. Hey everybody, we're back. I just want to say off the top, I'm having such an amazing time working on this podcast, and I hope those of you who are listening at home are having a great time too. I hope you are learning something new about a musical that you maybe didn't know about before, maybe revisiting an old favorite. I just hope that you're enjoying yourself as well, um, because I'm having a great time, like I said. But for those of you joining us for the first time, hi, my name is Rachel. This is a musical revival. It's a podcast all about musical revivals. So every other week, I come to you with a musical that I think needs to be revived, and we talk about it. Before we jump into today's episode, there's a couple of things I just wanted to bring up on the podcast. First and foremost, are you following the podcast on Instagram? Our handle is at Musical Revival Podcast. If you are following us, then you would know about the great things that I am posting there uh, and sharing about what's going on in revivals in the theater community right now. So the first thing I want to shout out is New York City Center is doing this wonderful mini documentary series called Encores Inside the Revival. So they're working with the creative teams and some of the performers for some of the revivals that should have been happening this year and in the canceled 1920 season. And they're doing just like a behind the scenes of what it was like to uh, revisit these shows and why these shows need to be revisited now. Um, The episodes are about 10 to 15 minutes. The first one is online right now. Um, It's with Billy Porter and it's about the Cy Coleman musical, The Life. I'm not really familiar with that show. I don't really know anything about it, but Billy Porter is really passionate about it and it really makes me want to learn more about that musical. I would definitely recommend checking that out. The other thing I wanted to let you all know is that Into the Woods is having another revival. Uh, New York City Center again is hoping to have a revival of that show, I believe closer to the summer or in the summer of 2021. It's really exciting. It's one of my favorite shows um, and I love to see it back on New York stages again. Hopefully we all get to see it soon. Something I just wanna draw everyone's attention to, I'm sure many of you are thinking the same thing, we still don't have a date for the Tony Awards this year. The nominations came out well over a month ago, and I kind of figured they were going to do it virtually in November, but I haven't heard anything. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places. Um, Maybe they already said something about the date, and I just don't know. But when I'm recording this, I don't see an official announcement about when the Tony Awards are going to be. Hopefully soon. Who knows? Fun fact. I don't think I did a fun fact in the last episode, but that's not the fun fact. The actual fun fact is that the musical Chicago holds the record for longest running revival on Broadway. The revival opened in 1996 and as of March 15th, 2020 has played over 9,000 performances. Pretty impressive. This week's choice for a musical revival is 110 in the Shade, or 110 in the Shade, as I like to say, I don't really think it matters. 110 in the Shade premiered on Broadway on October 24th, 1963. It was based off the 1954 play, The Rainmaker, written by N. Richard Nash. Nash also penned the libretto to 110 in the Shade. Music and lyrics were by Harvey Schmidt and Tom Jones. Originally, the production was directed by Joseph Anthony, and choreography was by Agnes DeMille. 
In its original run, the show had two previews and 330 regular scheduled performances. It was nominated for four Tony Awards and did not win any. The writing team behind 110 in the Shade, Harvey Schmidt and Tom Jones, actually gained notoriety writing music and lyrics to The Fantastics, which premiered in 1960. The Fantastics ran from 1960 to 2002, making it the longest running musical in history. Since its original run, 110 in the Shade has had a fairly decent life. In 1967, there was a London production. In 1992, there was a New York City opera revival. In 99, there was a concert version. And most recently, in 2007, a Broadway version starring icon Audra McDonald and directed by one of my faves, Lonnie Price. 110 in the Shade is what I like to call an anthology musical. It's a show that hasn't really joined the canon, but a couple of select songs from the show have. Um, if I hear one more person saying, is it really me in a competition, I'm going to lose my mind. Often with shows where one particular song becomes really famous and everything else kind of fades into the background, it makes sense. Usually with those shows, there's major problems with the book, there's major problems with the score, there's major problems with the creative team, but it doesn't make a ton of sense with 110 in the Shade. It doesn't make a ton of sense for 110 in the Shade because the original production received fairly positive reviews, but still lacked the ability to get audience members in the theater. I have theories and I will tell you all of them. So the first one is that 110 in the Shade is based off of a play called The Rainmaker. The Rainmaker was turned into a movie in 1956 that starred Hollywood legend Katherine Hepburn. The film did okay, but Katherine Hepburn got nominated for an Oscar for it. So fans of the movie may not have put two and two together that 110 in the Shade and The Rainmaker were the same story. I think this is part of that applause all about Eve dilemma that we talked about earlier in the show, where if they don't have the same name, it's kind of hard for us to know what it is. It doesn't make it easier for audiences to get involved with this show. Um, there's that name familiarity that we're missing. The name can't be the only issue, and it wasn't. There were also the nominees for Best New Musical that year. 110 in the Shade wasn't even nominated for Best New Musical because its competition was She Loves Me, Funny Girl, and Hello Dolly. It never stood a chance. Hello Dolly and Funny Girl were giving us career-defining, career-making performances from Barbra Streisand and Carol Channing. 110 in the Shade didn't have that. Funny Girl and Hello Dolly were much flashier, more in-your-face musicals. They're everything that 110 in the Shade is not and could never be. I'm in no way, shape, or form saying that those shows did not deserve the accolades that they received. I'm just saying they're very different shows from 110 in the Shade. There's nothing wrong with those shows. I love those shows. They're just very different from 110 in the Shade. The final reason why I think the show may have lacked audiences in 63 and why it's not more heavily revived now has to do with the second act and the issue of consent. In the second act, this musical has some really outdated ideas about consent that have to be addressed and have to be tackled, and they have to be tackled in an appropriate way. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it as I go through the plot synopsis. Before I jump into the plot, I just wanna let you know the character names and who played them in the original production. So Inga Swinson played Lizzie Curry, our heroine. Steve Douglas played File, the town sheriff. Robert Horton played Bill Starbuck, the rainmaker. Will Greer played H.C. Curry, Lizzie's father. 
Steve Rowland played Noah Curry, Lizzie's older brother, and Scooter Teague played Jimmy Curry, Lizzie's younger brother. And finally, Leslie Warren played Snooky, Jimmy's love interest. So the story takes place in a fictionalized town in like a cowboy-esque era somewhere in the South. Okay, let's go. Act 1. The show opens with the number, Gonna Be Another Hot Day, where we meet the sheriff, File, and the other townsfolk. As the number suggests, this town is experiencing a heat wave. It's actually 110 degrees, according to the radio, and nearly impossible to cool down anywhere. 110 in the shade. Do you get it yet? As the number ends and the townsfolk go along their way, Jim Curry enters. Jim and File talk, and Jim reveals that his sister Lizzie is coming home a week earlier than scheduled. Here's a difference from the original production and the 2007 production that I'd love to point out. In the original production, Jim, Noah, and HC, so her brothers and her father, all know that Lizzie is coming home a week early and they go to meet her at the station. But in the 2007 revival, HC receives a call informing him that Lizzie is going to be home in five minutes and he and the boys rush to clean up the house. I would say I prefer the choice made in the 2007 revival because it adds a level of panic and excitement that feeds very well into the next number, Lizzie's Coming Home. In that number, each of the men in Lizzie's life get a chance to explain what her coming home means to them. To her youngest brother, Jim, Lizzie listens to him. He asks him questions, and when she's home, he forgets how dumb he may be. She encourages him. To her older brother, Noah, Lizzie makes amazing meals, beefsteak with gravy, biscuits, apple crumble. She makes sure that he's properly fed. And as the person who is running the ranch, it's important that he stays healthy and he's well fed to do the hard work that he's doing. Finally, Lizzie's father, H.C., sings about when Lizzie is home, they sing songs, spend time together, and she fills the house with laughter. He explicitly states that when Lizzie is home, he starts to recall her mother. To H.C., she creates a sense of family. Honestly, huge praise in three minutes for a character we have yet to meet. Lizzie enters and reunites with her family once the song concludes. They discuss her trip to Sweet River, which clearly did not go the way she or her family wanted it to go. She went there to hopefully meet a man, but unfortunately, Lizzie's shyness and lack of confidence talking to men prevented her from doing much of anything or going anywhere. H.C., her father, says to Lizzie that she's afraid to be beautiful, but Lizzie insists that she can't think it when she knows it isn't true. The subject changes to the fact that today is the picnic and the men in the family would like to invite Sheriff File to eat with them. Clearly, this is another scheme to get Lizzie a boyfriend. Lizzie aggressively disagrees at first because File always ignores her, but H.C. says File makes a point of ignoring her, so he's not ignoring her at all. We also kind of pick up in this moment that Lizzie kind of has a crush on File, um, which is kind of cute. So Lizzie gives in and the men go off to find File. Lizzie alone on stage now sings Love Don't Turn Away. It's a short and sweet song where Lizzie expresses how much love she has inside of her and how desperately she wants to give it to someone if only love won't turn away from her. 
She has longings, passions, songs, kisses, all of this built up in her that she's been saving for someone to love, but she hasn't found that person yet. In the next scene, we meet Snooky, whose character description is, and I quote, she is perhaps 17 and pretty and pretty and pretty and pretty and pretty and pretty, which is to say she is pretty, end quote. She's real good looking. So she and Jim have this cute little puppy love thing going on. Uh, They flirt on stage a little bit and then she runs off. Jim wants to follow her, but cannot because he needs to go speak to File with his dad and Noah. So the men enter File's office and they notice that File is trying to fix a shirt. Jim lets him know that Lizzie fixes all of his shirts, clearly a way to say what a good housewife Lizzie would make. Kyle tells them that he should really get back to work because apparently a con man is going to be passing through town and he'd like to catch the man before he shows up at the picnic. The men invite him to the picnic through the song, The Poker Polka. Try saying that 10 times fast. The Poker Polka. Very difficult. This is a really fun song. The song kind of solidifies that File does not really get involved in the community Uh, The song does not work, and File informs the Curry men that while it was very friendly of them to invite him, he's not interested in getting married specifically to Lizzie. Jim is a little insulted, and so he punches File. File punches Jim, and Jimmy goes down. I keep saying Jim and Jimmy, but I hope you guys are picking up that they're the same character. Uh, So Noah takes Jimmy, Jim, away, um, who will now have a black eye for the remainder of the show. H.C. and File speak, and H.C. says that attending the picnic and spending time with Lizzie might have done File some good. He's really well-liked in the community, but he doesn't have any friends, and he won't make friends. H.C. says that he and the rest of the town know that File is not an actual widower like he pretends to be, but File's wife ran out on him six years ago when he lived in a different town. We transition out of that scene to the picnic where the townsfolk and Lizzie are setting up. The transition song is The Hungry Men. Lizzie informs the women that File is coming and they are clearly excited. File is very popular. The men complain that the crops are awful and without rain, they'll all probably end up in the poorhouse, so they might as well enjoy this last picnic before stuff really goes downhill. The curry men arrive and tell Lizzie that File isn't coming and she's clearly disappointed. Then begins a conversation about Lizzie, her behavior, and how it's scaring men away. Noah feels like they need to stop pushing her to get a husband because maybe she won't get one. Jim feels that she speaks too seriously to men and needs to be flirtier like Lily Ann, who can get any man that she wants. Lizzie responds that she doesn't want a man who just falls down. She wants someone who she can be straight with and who is straight with her. And if she can't get a man being the way she is, then she doesn't want a man at all. Go Lizzie, I love you, feminist icon. Um, Just kidding. I will say that in this disagreement, HC, her father, is clearly on Lizzie's side because he realizes that his daughter shouldn't have to change the wonderful woman that she is to appease some dude. Uh, A fight, the fight reaches a boiling point um, and a chord is struck in the orchestra and a mystery man appears. The mystery man introduces himself as Bill Starbuck, the Rainmaker. The townsfolk drift in as the next number, The Rain Song, begins. In the song, Bill lets everyone know that for $100, in advance of course, he can guarantee rain in the town in 24 hours. Starbuck is very charming. He knows how to talk to an audience. He's a salesman. Think the cowboy version of Harold Hill. The number is 
kind of evangelical in a sense. It's a fun piece. I really enjoy it. HC is convinced by the song and orders Noah to give the man the money. Noah does it, again, disagreeing with the way his father does things. Lizzie also disagrees, but Jim and HC go along with it. Starbuck gives Jim a drum and orders him to play it when he gets the feeling, and he tells HC to go paint a fence white with this special paint that will help them not get shocked by lightning when the rain comes. He's sounding like a con man to me, but what do I know? Lizzie is now left alone on stage with Starbuck. They argue and sing the duet, You're Not Fooling Me. Lizzie sees through his lies, and Starbuck sees through Lizzie pretending that she's unaffected, calm, cool, and collected all the time. The song has a bit of dialogue in between it, but it has the same feel of anything you can do from Annie Get Your Gun. Starbuck says that Lizzie has no faith because she put on a fancy dress, and the husband slash boyfriend still hasn't come, and she's afraid that he'll never come. The song ends and we transition into Cinderella as the children pass by and Lizzie tries to convince herself that Starbuck was wrong about her. In the next scene, we find Jim hitting the drum with Snooky. HC and Noah enter and Snooky leaves. Noah doesn't really like Snooky, but Jim is really head over heels for her. Uh, Noah tells this very weird story about her and apparently she carries a little red hat around with her that she's waiting to give to the man she marries. She literally carries around a red hat for the entire show. Of course, this could be interpreted as her womanly virtue that she will give to the man she marries. It's a very weird conversation. I don't really love this plot point. I'll talk more about it later. Uh, The conversation then changes, thank God. And Jim tells HC that when he talks to Starbuck, he feels like smart. He feels like someone's listening to him. Starbuck is really nice to him. And the only time he ever will ever feels stupid is when he's talking to Noah. Lizzie enters and the family gets into another fight. The boys go off and Lizzie and her father talk. She asks him if there's a place where a woman could get lessons on how to be a better woman. She doesn't feel like she's doing a great job. Lizzie decides that on Monday, she'll talk to Lillianne and ask to join the social club. She's tired of being herself because it never works and she wants to be someone else. Thus, the song Raunchy begins. Famously, in the 2007 revival, Audrey McDonald did a cartwheel that people apparently loved. Um, The song is kind of silly. Lizzie's trying to say that when she's this other person, she'll be raunchy, she'll be fun, she'll be kind of out there. When the song ends, File enters and apologizes for hitting Jim earlier. HC rushes off to get Jim, leaving Lizzie and File alone together. File informs Lizzie that he didn't just come to apologize to Jim, but he came to set the town straight about him being a widower. File admits that he's a divorcee, and he and Lizzie talk slash sing about what happened to his first wife in the song A Man and a Woman. File's views on relationships and love are tainted by his failed marriage. He feels like you make a promise to love someone and eventually you have to break it. Lizzie has the complete opposite view. This duet is really sweet and very intimate for these two characters. In the dialogue following the song, File explains that his wife left him for a school teacher. The night she left him, she asked him if he would tell her to stay, and he didn't because he doesn't beg. Lizzie is frustrated with him because he doesn't see that his pride prevented him from losing the woman he loved. If he hadn't been so prideful, maybe she would have stayed, and if she didn't, At least he wouldn't be wondering six years later what could have been. 
fight gets a little too intense and remembering what her brother said about her talking too seriously with men, Lizzie pretends to be Lillian, which frustrates File. He screams at her to be herself and runs off. Lizzie's family returns to see File running off and HC tries to console Lizzie and tell her that it's not her fault. Noah agrees that it's not Lizzie's fault and it's not even File's fault, but it's HC's fault for filling Lizzie's head with nonsense. Noah goes on to tell Lizzie that she is plain and needs to get that through her head. There's a big fight between Jim and Noah, which Starbuck breaks apart. He tells Noah off about what he said about Lizzie and runs after Jim, who is upset his brother fought him. Noah goes back to telling Lizzie that she is plain and will probably die an old maid and needs to accept that. He leaves and Lizzie runs off to sing the act one finale, Old Maid. It's just a sad song um, about what her life is going to look like as she ages alone. Everything beautiful happens at night. Happens at night. Everything beautiful happens after the day is done. Here in the darkness, I don't know why. Everything changes in by and Act two. There's a big difference at the top of Act Two. In the 2007 revival, there is an added song for Starbuck called Evening Star. This song is a soft opener and gives us a little more detail about Starbuck and how he sees himself. He's in search of something, but he's also a little lonely on the road. This goes into what I'm going to say is the best song in the entire show, Everything Beautiful Happens at Night. This is an ensemble number with one of the most gorgeous melodic lines I have ever heard. If you're going to listen to anything from this show, let it be this song. We're back at the picnic where the band is playing and they have started their waltz. As the dancers head home, we find that Lizzie is approaching Starbuck to give him a blanket Jim had originally intended to give to him and to thank him for defending her against Noah. They talk about their names. Starbuck insists that Lizzie isn't happy being a Lizzie and says he could make up a name for her that would suit her much better, Melisande. They sing Melisande. The song is basically a story of who Melisande is and it's just a cute little number, nothing too serious. From there, we quickly go into the song, Simple Little Things, where Lizzie explains exactly what she wants. A simple life, a husband, a home, someone to love, simple little things. As the song ends, Lizzie is emotional and Starbuck tries to talk to Lizzie and tell her that she needs to believe in her dreams and they will come true and she needs to believe that she is a woman because she is one. Lizzie complains again that she is plain, but Starbuck says that all women are pretty in their own way. He tries to show her by taking the pins out of her hair and makes her say, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty. It's a really emotional scene and it's a very vulnerable scene, a vulnerable scene for Lizzie. At the end of the scene, Starbuck ends up kissing her. Back to Noah and HC who are still looking for Jim. Eventually Jim finds them and he has Snooky's little red hat. I want to put up a trigger warning here. I would say just skip ahead maybe 30 seconds. Um, we're talking about sexual assault. So the song that is sung typically in this point in the show is Little Red Hat. And it details how Jim got the hat from Snooky and how he chased her and how he like pinned her down and got the hat. And she was screaming, no, don't take the hat from me. And then he decided he wasn't going to 
take the hat and then she gave it to him. Clearly, this is a song about how Jim had the opportunity to sexually assault Snooki and then decided not to and therefore is being praised for it. It doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible song. It's awful. Like, there's no other way of going about that. In the 2007 revival, they tried to fix it. I don't know if they did. I think the only way to fix this song is to remove it and remove the entire plot point about the little red hat from the show. It doesn't serve anything except make us hate Jim and hate the time period that Snooki is living in because this definitely was happening to women all over the place. I'm not going to rant because I'll be ranting for 10 days. Um, but she clearly, I don't know. It's a terrible song. Um, it shouldn't be in the show. I think we should cut it in any revivals moving forward. Sorry, one last thing that doesn't make sense about this scene and the song is because Jim now has Snooki's little red hat, that means they're going to get married. Let's go back to Lizzie and Starbuck. I love them. They bring me joy. Let's talk about them for a second. So in their scene together, Lizzie sings the song, Is It Really Me? A beautiful piece about how she cannot believe that this is her life now. Suddenly, being with Starbuck, she feels beautiful and seen. It's a very tender moment between the two, but once the song ends, he reminds her that he has to leave. Starbuck wishes that Lizzie would remember how beautiful she is when he's gone. Starbuck goes on to tell Lizzie that he has, in fact, never made it rain, and he is a con man like she originally thought. Lizzie, now kind of in love with him, says that he's a dreamer and that he lives in his dreams, and that isn't a bad thing. So he decides to stay for a couple more days, and Lizzie is beside herself with happiness. The following scene, Lizzie meets up with her family and tells them about her evening with Starbuck. File enters as Lizzie is just about to warn Starbuck that the authorities are looking for him. File realizes that Lizzie has feelings for Starbuck and demands to know where Starbuck is. Starbuck accidentally wanders in and File confronts him. File arrests him for being a con man, but the townsfolk and the Curry family don't want to see him arrested. According to them, he's done nothing wrong. File looks to Noah to back him up, confirming that Starbuck is the con man that he has spent all day looking out for. But Noah, in a moment when he decides to be decent for five seconds, covers for Starbuck and File has to let Starbuck go. Starbuck needs to immediately leave town, so he asks Lizzie if she'll go with him. As Lizzie takes a step towards him, File screams out that Lizzie should stay with him. This launches us into the song, Wonderful Music, where Lizzie faces her choices. Go off and explore the world with Starbuck, or stay in town and have a family with File. Ultimately, Lizzie decides that she's going to stay with File. Starbuck kind of ruins his chances when he says that Lizzie doesn't have to be Lizzie anymore, that she could be Melisande, which isn't what she wants. Lizzie wants simple little things. So she picks file because what she wants is a family and stability, and that's not something that Starbuck can give her. Starbuck is clearly devastated, but he pulls himself together and he's going to leave town. He returns the money to the Curry family because he didn't stay the whole 24 hours. Therefore, there was no rain. Like, that's the reason there was no rain. And just as he's about to leave, there's a rumble. And all of a sudden, the sky opens up and it rains. 
Everyone happily sings the reprise of the rain song. Starbuck collects his hundred dollars and bids Lizzie farewell. And he's glad that he's a fraud no longer. Lizzie and File kiss. The lights go down and 110 in the shade is over. problems with 110 in the shade, I still think there's something about this show that demands to be seen again. I think something in the characters and the themes of this musical really can translate to audiences today, maybe more than they did in the 60s. The character I identified the most with had to be Lizzie, and I think most audience members would agree. What Lizzie goes through over the course of this musical is something that anybody who's ever wanted to be in a relationship can identify with. She wants to be loved, and she wants to be loved for who she is, and she doesn't want to have to change the things about her that make her different so that someone will love her. Instead of changing herself to get a man, Lizzie stays true to herself, and by the end of the musical, she has two pretty decent guys fighting over her. This show does the opposite of Grease. Instead of the girl changing herself to fit the guy at the end, the girl stays exactly the way she is and she attracts the kind of man that she really wants. Someone who is strong enough to accept her the way that she is and someone she can accept the way that he is. I can only imagine what it would have been like if Lizzie pretended to be like Lillian, got a husband and realized that they both have nothing in common and in fact hate each other. This musical ultimately preaches to thine own self be true. While I don't necessarily like that her family is pushing her to get married and they're obsessed with her finding a husband, I do understand where it's coming from. At this time, women really couldn't work, so it's important for Lizzie to get married to have a husband who can provide for her as she ages, or else the burden falls on Noah and Jim to take care of her after their father is gone. And potentially, Noah and Jim may have wives of their own and their own children, and they may not be able to properly take care of their sister. So in that way, I understand why her family is pushing her to get married, but I don't love the society they live in, that that's Lizzie's only option, really. Get married or die an old maid. Another theme or idea from the show that I love is that believing something makes it true. At the top of act one, Lizzie's father says her problem is not that she is plain or that she speaks too seriously with men. It's that she doesn't believe. She doesn't believe that she is pretty and she doesn't believe that she's a woman. Lizzie's act two conversation with Starbuck is all about believing. Starbuck is concerned with getting Lizzie to believe in something, whether it's to believe that she's pretty, to believe that it will rain, believe that he's a genius, it doesn't matter. Lizzie just has to believe. Believing is the foundation of everything and it doesn't matter if other people believe it with you, it matters if you believe it. And the moment Lizzie starts to believe that she is pretty, that she is special, her entire life changes. Lizzie has two men fighting for her affection. She ultimately finds a husband and it rains. All because she started to believe. Is it really me? Is it really true? Suddenly onto the dream revival of 110 in the Shade. So while I don't have casting ideas, I do have ideas on how to fix the second act. 
First things first, we have to get rid of Little Red Hat. That song, that scene, that entire B plotline has to go. I've already explained why it's problematic. It just has to go. It can be replaced with the song Pretty Is. Pretty Is is one of the deleted songs from 110 in the Shade. It's originally sung by a male character, so it works perfectly for Jim to sing. Jim could use this song as a way to declare his love for Snooki and actually propose to her. I think it could work. The other idea I have for this revival, which probably will not fly with most people, but I like because I like immersive theater, would have to be the rain. Hear me out. At the end of the show, it typically rains on stage and it costs a lot of money just to make it rain on the stage. What if it also rained in the audience? The audience would be encouraged to bring their own coats or they would be provided with shawls when they get to the theater. And at the end of the show, when the entire company is on stage dancing in the rain, the audience is encouraged to get up and dance with them. I think it could be fun. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks so, but I would love to hear your feedback. And if you agree with me, if you disagree with me, don't tell me. Despite its glaring problems, I think 110 in the Shade is overall a really great musical with a fantastic score about a woman who's just trying to find her way in the world. I think the original production didn't have the opportunity to shine because of the competition it faced, but I think now is the time for Lizzie Curry's story to be front and center. And that's why I want to see this musical revived. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about 110 in the Shade, I would highly recommend checking out the 1963 and the 2007 cast recordings. First, listen to the 1963 recording to understand how the musical was originally scored, and then listen to the 2007 recording to hear how the orchestrations are reimagined in really beautiful ways. Specifically, Everything Beautiful Happens at Night has a completely different arrangement, and it is so much better in the 2007 version in my opinion anyways. The other benefit of listening to the 2007 recording is a lot more dialogue is included. Therefore, you get a lot more of the story listening to that cast album. Also, Audra McDonald is phenomenal in it. You can always check out the film or the play that this musical is based on, The Rainmaker. I have not seen that movie. I love Katherine Hepburn, so maybe I'll watch it and let y'all know how it is and if it's worth uh, taking the time to rent and see. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. There are a million things you can be listening to right now, so thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow along with the show on Instagram. Our handle is at Musical Revival Podcast, and I'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!